0: enter free-range American podcast, presented by BlackRifleCoffee.com. We're, we've been warming up our guests for quite a while. <laughs> you, Is that what you, you call it? I think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so.
1: I believe the first time yeah. you met, you opened <laughs> I mean, with, I you're clearly normally hate generals. Yeah.
0: No, I didn't even say normally. I said,
2: I... Hate general officers. <laughs> he did. And, you know, I thought he yeah. was joking, but I did wait at that gate out there for 30 minutes for you to come open it for me when I was yeah. coming onto the ranch. Yeah. Show. <laughs> I and well, is- welcome
1: to the show, <laughs> um, yeah.
2: General Clay Huttmacher. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm sort of glad to be here. Sort of, <laughs> sort of glad. You'll know sort how, gl- glad. how glad. he was
1: after it's over. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah that's what I need. A bunch of NCOs letting air out of my tire. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, golly! No,
1: we're happy you came. This is yeah. this is going to be super interesting. You have one one of the most unique and interesting stories mm. I've heard to date, and I meet a lot of people. Uh, yeah. I think the the biggest thing is is you started as a marine private. I did seventeen years old came out <laughs> of a foster
2: home as a matter of fact and a yeah. high school dropout at that. <laughs> See, that's when you warmed my heart. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, wait a minute yeah, right. before we go
2: too far down. I did graduate from high school later, just FYI. Basically. Well, go right, right into it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You joined the Marines when and then you came. Yeah, you. I did. You left yeah, high uh,
2: January third, nineteen seventy-eight. I yeah. uh, left for Marine Corps boot camp. I was living in a foster home in Washington State up in Lake Stevens, Washington, oh. and um, <clears throat> spent six and a half years in the Marine Corps. Was on the E six list when I heard about. Uh, the army had a flight program, um, and I applied and, uh, inexplicably got picked up for it and showed up at Fort Rucker, uh, in June of 84 to attend flight school as a warrant officer candidate, graduated the following year as a Black Hawk pilot, went to the 101st, heard about a secret unit out there, uh, and, uh, put my name in the hat for that. And they laughed at me and sent me away. Didn't have enough experience. And, um, but then, you know, I what I uh, I kept trying, kept going every month, telling them, "Hey, I'm I'm interested. I want to be here." And then I went to Officer Candidate School, and uh, when I was there, I called them one more time right before graduation. I was going to the 82nd to fly for the 82nd, and they agreed to assess me. And I stayed there from Second Lieutenant all the way through Lieutenant Colonel. Not all in the One Sixtieth, wow. but most of it was in the One Sixtieth. Uh, I flew uh, DAP, the uh, direct action penetrator, an armed MH-60 version. I was actually the first platoon leader. Had a great platoon, uh, Cliff Walcott, who was killed in Somalia in 93. Uh, uh, Mike Durant was in my platoon. Uh, several others that were notable in, the, uh, in, in Gothic Serpent, which, by the way, the anniversary is tomorrow. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. So a significant day in the history of many units in the soft community out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, went down after desert storm, I went and flew with the air force special ops command as an exchange pilot Met my wife down there, she's an air force Intel officer. So the army remains a subordinate service to the air force in my own house to this day. Uh, yeah, yeah. somehow, no matter how senior I got, I was always the two I see with her (laughs) and and I haven't cracked the code on that yet.
1: Well, what, uh, what made you switch over from Warren? when you did that, was it, was it because you were trying to get into
2: the 160th? No. You thought that was a better way or? And listen, I, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I think warrant officers are the cornerstone of army aviation. I think, you know, I, I think they're why we are the proficient force we are. But, but what I didn't realize as an NCO was that a warrant officer is really a technician. Mm. I mean, their whole job is to fly that helicopter. You know, we have warrants, that have been flying for 25 years in the same company, basically, in the 160th. Uh, I missed, as an NCO, you know, my previous experience, I missed the leadership aspect of uh, of it. And I just, re- and I had to make the jump. I was right at the 10-year mark, and you had to be commissioned by the beginning of your 10th year. And I I just felt like it was right for me, and I've never regretted it. No, that's why. It's
1: Awesome. So yeah, you went to the one sixtieth, and then shortly after that is when Desert Storm kicked off.
2: Well, actually, uh, when I got there, we were on an operation called Prime Chance. What was that? That was the Persian Gulf when they were laying, when they, remember the, uh, Reagan reflagged the Kuwaiti tankers to U.S. Mm-hmm. The overt name was called Operation Earnest Will, right? And they were Iran was laying mines in the Straits and attacking tankers going in, and so Reagan reflagged all those tankers to U.S.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and, and uh, and they and, you know, basically if you attack that tanker, you're attacking the United States. Right. We set up uh, two stations. We were actually working off barges that were used to build oil rigs, oil derricks. Wow. And uh, we were, and we also flew off of frigates as well, but we were protecting those tankers. There was, I wasn't there for this, but there was a significant engagement against the Iran-Azhar, which was laying mines and, the, you know, the, Attack, the the requirement was, the ROE was, get up. We had two MH6s and two AH6s on the team. And the MH6s would get up, uh, come up the fan tail and film them, lay in mines. So we had the evidence. And then the AH6s would engage them until they stopped dropping mines. Mm. On this particular incident, they got the footage, um, got cleared to engage Well, when the Iranians saw that we were shooting them, they started pushing more mines off, which was probably not the best call for them. Um, So they just kept shooting them uh, until they stopped and captured several Iranians, uh, kept them for about 48 hours, scuttled the Iran-Azhar. If you Google it, you can see a lot of information. So we did that. I did three rotations over there, flying off the barge Hercules. Then Panama kicked off. Uh, Original name for that was Operation Blue Spoon. Uh became Just Cause later, right. um, but it was Blue Spoon at the time and flew a 60 down there. And then Desert Storm, I flew DAPS in Desert Storm. Actually, I brought a DAP down to Panama, Yeah, uh, but our commander wouldn't let us fly it. And we were, the A-86 pilots, uh, of course, didn't let that opportunity go by. And they said, oh yeah, DAP didn't actually participate or didn't attack Panama. So we only had one of those. So we took a lot of ribbon for that. But then in Desert Storm, we got called over there to um, go after those scuds being shot into Israel and to keep Israel from coming into the war and breaking up the coalition. So we based out of uh, Western uh, Saudi Arabia, flying up in what now Al-Qaim area and up there Mm -hmm. on the Western side of Iraq. And did that. And so Desert Storm you was good. Went down in a helicopter and Desert Storm kind of. Well,
3: <laughs> let's just say we had a tough uh, We had a. We, landing. We, had a
2: uh, we bounced. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. A crew chief, uh, a very dear friend of mine, uh, called out that, you know, check altitude. And I looked at our altitude indicator our, and uh, we were zero. We were just on the verge of impacting. And I just had enough time to pull up on the collective and uh, we hit the ground and powered through it. Wow. Uh, I I couldn't thank that guy enough. I don't want to say his name without his permission, but he uh, right. he saved all of our lives for sure. And we did lose an airplane uh, in similar circumstances a uh, a few weeks later. Really?
4: Wow. Was it uh, was it brownout or?
2: Yeah, I mean, out? we were. You know, it was. I've never flown in uh, anything like that before. Yeah. I mean, the terrain wasn't horrendous, but zero light up there, and we didn't have altitude hold or anything, and our nods were, you know four generations ago. Right. So uh, it was just very, yeah, we went, we, you know, we hit these dust storms right. just like they did in desert one, which caused right. all that havoc. I mean, every time we went across the border, I mean, it was, you know, it it was some tough, tough sledding for sure.
4: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you took us up to your time as an O five.
2: Well, desert storm. Yeah. I was a lieutenant. Yeah. Then I went to, uh, I went to, um, Air Force from '92 to '96, had a blast, flew out of Hurlburt, um, and then I uh, I went to a classified assignment for a while, and then I came back to the 160th. As the XO of first uh, first battalion 160th, and right in time when right I was I was in a a different capacity when nine eleven happened, but in 2002 I got back to the 160th. Of course we. We're already in Afghanistan, so I started pulling rotations over to Afghanistan, and then we went into Iraq shortly thereafter, and I did multiple rotations in Iraq. And, um, and you know, I've lost count, Frank. I've never counted, but I know I've been over there a lot, that's for sure. Yeah. And then commanded 1st Battalion, 160th. I actually commanded 5th Battalion, 158th in Germany uh, for two years, 06 to, or 04 to 06. Commanded 1st and 160th from 06 to 08 and commanded the 160th, uh, regiment from, uh, eight to 10.
4: What's, uh, one, five, eight. Is that a, is that a It's an
2: assault battalion, yeah. um, uh, that was based out of Germany. Okay. And then, and then where'd you go from there? I went to the war college. I've been deferred for a couple of years. Um, so and this is I, like right around when you made 06. Actually I made 06 in 08, early 08. Um, Did they know you were a high school dropout when they let you into war college? Well, I had actually, you know, sort of fixed that by then. <laughs> you cleaned you know, you you, up your past. Yeah, at the, at the, at the risk of <laughs> being dismissed by Evan. Yeah. I, I actually <laughs> went back and, uh, and I actually, I will, it was a funny story about that. I was a Marine over in Okinawa and uh, <clears throat> I went to Los Angeles community college overseas to get my high school diploma. Wow. And I, did pretty well and the, the base chaplains there at Camp Schwab, Okinawa for the Marines out there, they probably under know that name. Um, they said, Hey, are you planning to continue your education? And you know, and I said, Yeah, I was a E3, a Lambs Corporal or something. I said, Yeah, I absolutely am. He said, Well here's a fifty dollar scholarship for you to continue, which I promptly went out in town and drank away <laughs> with my right. buddies. Uh uh but, yeah, then I just started going to college at night and incrementally working towards a degree after that. And then get to war college. Yeah, I did war college uh, 10 to 11. I went to Afghanistan and stood up the Afghan Special Mission Wing, which is was a uh, really interesting work. I was on now defunct Camp Eggers down there in Kabul and uh, <clears throat> basically built it. It was just to move around their commandos and Afghan Special Forces a combined fleet of fixed-wing ISR aircraft and uh, MI-17 rotary wing. Uh, Interesting. The MI-17s weren't very popular uh, with the Department of Defense because it's clearly not an American-made aircraft. But we were under the gun. We thought we were leaving in 14. That was the truth at the time. Right. So we didn't have time to go with an American-made airplane Mm -hmm. and, you know, retool all their logistics systems and all of that. Uh, I came back from there. I commanded the Army Special Ops Aviation Command, from uh, 2012 to 2014, and then I went to Korea. I was the Deputy Commanding General, 2nd Infantry Division from 14 to 15. Great job. Loved it. Uh, and then came back. I was a Deputy uh, Commanding General. At, I made two-star. I was a Deputy Commanding General of uh, U.S. Army Special Ops Command, USASOC, wow. for a couple of years, and then uh, wrapped up. Uh, my uh, career as the J3 at US SOCOM uh, got out in uh, 18 and then took over the Special Ops Warrior Foundation from uh, the very capable Vice Admiral, retired Joe McGuire. That's, that's quite the career. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, being yeah. a general was never the plan, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, was, I was ecstatic when I made... That's what I mean. When I made E5, I was like... Totally stoked on that! I was like, "Wow!" I mean, I am somebody. You know, so
1: I've got power. That's yeah, right. I've got yeah. leadership. Yeah, yeah. No shit. And you know,
2: you could make the argument I probably had more authority as a Marine E five than I did <laughs> as a two <laughs> <so>.
3: star.
0: <laughs> Man, I don't even know where to begin on this because there's so much here from yeah. you know so high I'd school pick dropout. Pick uh, a spot. The timeline, yeah. I know. That's why. That's. I, I. I think it's just interesting. I think we could start just like. Peeling the onion a little bit in the sense of, you know, where did where do you guys in your your think tanks of like general officer think tanks where do you guys come up with names for operations?
2: Um, yeah, you know, that's a good question. I thought they, I, I thought they were computer generated. Now the right. initial ones, like Blue Spoon, was a computer generated. Now when the politicians, it's just, it's just
0: a computer generated thing. Yeah, that's that's my really? understanding.
2: Yeah, and now I mean. It depends. The Brits did them different. Like they had a line of targets in Iraq that were all insect. I don't know. I mean, that gives you some insight. Back in 07,
4: there were two captains Mm -hmm. working at. MNCI, and that was their whole job was to come up with operation names. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> like, if, if I could have gotten that job, yeah. right, <laughs> like
0: I would have stayed forever. I I, like, that's yeah. probably
4: why it's two captains, blue and not llama. Two, yeah, I, yeah. You know? I don't think you'd be a good llama fit Lama for painter. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like
2: I, I would have loved that job. I yeah, I like, don't, I don't think they would stand <laughs> the political test of time with you in that seat. Frankly, <laughs> I don't know, because I
0: feel like that's what I do with the exclusive coffee subscription. Every month, (laughs) is I come up with operation, (laughs) seriously, lava panther, yeah, yeah, lava panther. That's exactly what I'm doing. You (laughs) guys know that power llama, lava panther, flying elk like, all these things are like they they are operational names. Like, that's I think they
2: are, yeah, but. I it's was always wondering good to have a backup, right? So yeah. if things don't go well, you can always, you know, that could be I my would new recommend thing. you for being a contractor to do that.
0: I would take that job now today if they oh, yeah. said you would you could do this. <laughs> you need to do that letterhead, I would make, <laughs> your retired letterhead. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the branding on these ops would be way better too. <laughs> yes. Like we could sell uh, stickers yeah. and t shirts yeah, and like get this man. thing monetized the <laughs> right yeah. way.
1: Where it's so like guys would have tattoos.
0: Operation <laughs> Blue Llama. You know, I would be trying to lobby people to go and do more war just so I could make more shit. You know what I mean?
4: You'd be part of the industrial military complex. That would be,
0: I would be the only part of it. (laughs)
2: But you would only advocate for small things. No, no, super, you know, we call low intensity conflict. So what would you call thermonuclear war? What would your name be for that? A really big mistake. (laughs) <laughs> a really big, big yeah, I, fucking I mistake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Operation Screwdriver. Operation We're All Fucked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Operation Populate Mars. That's, uh, a, that's a good point of departure. <laughs> well, you probably might want to buff that one a little bit yeah, before I we might, send it yeah. up to how the many, chairman.
1: How many hours do you have behind a helicopter stick? Uh,
2: about 3,400 or so. About a third of that is MVG time. <laughs> um so one third of so least over at a thousand least, is on Nvgs uh, yeah, under nods wow, and probably geez. four or five hundred of that is combat I will say that that is you know we've got a lot of guys in the 160th that have much more than that yeah um they have you know over a thousand hours of night vision goggle combat time right. which is you know you would have never seen that when I started flying nods if you had a hundred hours of night vision time I mean you were a grizzled veteran Really, really, oh, yeah, yeah. We were flying what we call PVS fives. If you can go back right. in your memory with those, and we the one hundred and sixty, they actually cut away the bottom, so you could see out from underneath them. Before right. you couldn't see anything. You had yeah. to take one tube and twist them in to try to see what your instrument said. I mean, it was a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm.
0: What, what were they using in um, in Iran during the uh, when? Is it Desert One? Desert One. Yeah. Um, What were they using for MVGs? I believe.
2: Well, I know. All I know, uh, maybe PVS fives, full face PVS fives. Right. um, I know that they had to go with a full moon for that mission because they could not. There was no way they could safely execute it. Right. uh, Under a zero loom. you know. You contrast that with us. We prefer to fly in zero alum. Right. I mean, we. I mean, it's harder, but right. it's uh, you know, it's yeah, better but now. Technology lets orca. you do it. Enemy can't see you.
0: So, when was the shift, or, or when was the technology really good enough where you could shift most of your focus in combat flying to the evening? Like, what years do you think that was?
2: Well, I think that you know, and, and again, some of this is speculation right, on my sure. part, but yeah, yeah. but uh, educated guess for sure. I I think after Grenada. You know, the 160 was those already stood up to be a night vision goggle or a, a, a right. night flying unit night after Desert One, right? When they saw right. that Desert One didn't yeah. work out, they had to have, you know. But I think it really got driven home and there became a lot of momentum behind it after Grenada.
0: Because they weren't allowed to
2: attack at night. Was that 83, 84? 83. I 83? was, I know, yeah. I was over in the Marines. I was over on the Rock. I was in Okinawa at the time. But they, uh, you know, they hit that prison, which was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um in, uh, in in daylight. And the Navy... That was my the Marine
1: Corps, wasn't it? The, the no, well, no, the, the, the Marine
2: Corps was... They were there on the... I think it was on the Guam. But the Navy was commanding, controlling that operation. The 160th came in. Oh, the Rangers right. jumped into that. Rangers jumped oh, yeah. into uh, Point Salinas, I believe, yeah. if I remember right, in Grenada. 160th came down, and they executed several operations, but one of them was a prison, and they got driven off by ground fire. Cool. We lost an airplane. Uh, Keith Lucas, Captain Keith Lucas, was killed. The whole right side of the cockpit was shot out right. by a ZPU 4.
0: Yeah, because Clint Eastwood did that documentary on that. He did. yeah.
2: Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Heartbreak Ridge. Heartbreak, Heartbreak Ridge.
0: Heartbreak yeah. yeah. sure Good documentary. Yeah.
1: Really shows what recon marines are like. Yeah. Recon they, kicks butt. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's what I learned. So I've heard. <laughs> yeah. No, I,
0: <laughs> sorry, Clay. It's hard for me to stay digress. serious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was interested in that because where the army really shifted their focus, 83, because by, by the time they went from Desert One and then Panama, it seemed like that that was a completely different type of, I mean, yeah. you could do a full scale aviation assault
2: in a city at night. At night. Yeah. Zero one hundred. I was there. Zero one hundred was HR. Twenty seven separate assaults uh, on on key targets. Right. I mean, it, to me, that was a that was a, a significant demonstration of of the capability that now existed in the U.S. military. And it wasn't right. just. I mean, it was led by special ops. They were the mm-hmm. main effort. Yeah. But the eighty second was there. Yep. I mean, and our night vision capability has only increased and, and proficiency has only increased from there. Yeah. Right. Well, especially over the last
0: two decades. I mean, considering what we've done in the last twenty years, you know, yeah. twenty years in aviation alone, just the level of proficiency at night. Yeah. There's yes. there's I, I would imagine there's zero ability for any other country in the world to have that type of proficiency in order to even catch up to the experience based knowledge. It's yeah, we, not as if the Chinese could start spinning stuff up and flying guys at night that fast.
2: Well, and then, you know, another, and we can't discount is air refueling capability, right. whereas the Air Force had at first an air rescue fleet, uh, but the 160th developed the capability with the help of Air Force Special Ops Command. I was down there at the time, and uh, our initial pilots on the 60 side were got qualified by the Air Force. But if you think of, you know, here's a great um, example of that. If you look at Desert One, mm-hmm. They took off off of a carrier, the Nimitz. They flew, you know, a long distance and the mission ended in failure at the first uh, FARP site. Right. Right. Desert One. Yep. Because uh, they were going on to the hide site, you know, to RON, remain mm-hmm. overnight to execute the next day. Yep. So now flash forward post, right after 9-11 off executes a mission of even greater distances right. off of an aircraft carrier eerily or similar and executed it flawlessly on two separate targets Rhino and gecko were the mm-hmm. two main targets that night. when people would ask me as 160th are you guys worth it I said you tell me you know here's what here's what we couldn't do mm-hmm. in uh, 1980. Right, and here's what we did after nine eleven. I would say that no other country in the world could have executed that mission, and I th- I don't think that's no. even arguable.
0: Yeah, I, I, there's no way. I think there, that that I think anybody could clearly articulate another country had that capability. There's no way. No. Now, from nineteen eighty in Desert One until you know eighty nine, I guess in in Panama one sixtieth one sixtieth was that. It was born out of Desert One. Is that
2: correct? It was. So the Holloway Commission was stood up right. after that failure. In fact, we, what was the failure? Like, can So you the failure go was that? that, you know, there was after we failed at Desert One, right? When the helicopter was. I don't, re- I don't know the mission. So, so the mission, Desert it, yeah. Eagle Claw, was the rescue of the Eagle- 52 oh, Americans yeah, from right. Tehran. And at the refueling site, the helicopter was repositioning behind the 130 and it browned out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and crashed into it. And that's where we lost eight Americans, you know, three Marines and five Air Force. When that happened. Had, because they had the,
0: they also had the fuel blivets in the back, right? right, because right. Which caused the fire. Right. And,
4: and in addition to that, weren't there also at least, at least one helo turned back? Right,
2: more than that. One, no. of, yeah, more than that. Yeah, they were down when they landed. They took off with two extra. Mm-hmm. I think min force for them to go forward for the rescue was six. Right, they had an hydraulic pump failure uh, on number on one of the aircraft, the Desert One, um, and they and then they went to five. And Charlie Beckwith made the call. He said, "Hey, min force." Right. You know, that's always a controversial thing. You always make the men force decision, whatever it is, when it's not an emotional issue. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the numbers and Charlie Beckwith said, we don't have, we don't have the forces we need. We can't mass enough combat power on the objective. Mm -hmm. And he made the decision to abort with the intention of trying it again. Right. Um, But the bottom line is the Holloway and Admiral Holloway was, was the head of that commission to stand up and look at that mission and look at and analyze the failures and make the correct, or make the fixes to, to uh, make sure that never happened again. So as a result of that, the 160th, uh, they said on the helicopter side, you can't do this with a, overall, but the helicopters were obviously an area of focus because of mm-hmm. what happened. So they said, you can't do this as a pickup game, right? You can't do a hostage a complex mission like that and when you think about it going into a country's capital like that with a pickup team it's got to right. be a standing force that was yeah. one of the conclusions so JsOC was stood up as a result of that um, one one or the 160th task force 160 mm-hmm. is what it was back then was stood up socom was stood up and the nun Cohen amendment on Goldwater Nichols which came in right after right. that gave so gave socom a checkbook, which was very unique back then. Right. Um, and so they have, you know, they have service-like capabilities to train, field, and equip, but they have operational or op- uh, tr- train, field, and equip authorities, but then operational authorities as well, which make that a very unique command. But all of that came out of that Holloway Commission. Mm. And so you take, but, you know, so it started there, right? It started, because once you put focus on a problem, you're going to get results. Right. Right. And that's what happened. They started training for it. They initially started training for a second rescue attempt. Right. Which was Operation Rice Bowl, I believe, is what the <laughs> oh. And I, they should have consulted you on that. They I should think. have. I, I yeah. wasn't... It could have been Blue Llama. I mean, I could see Blue Llama. Yeah. Um, well, I wasn't born. I mean, well... I was. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, thanks for that. Man. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, But that, you know, that's the capability. And those are 53s? 53s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They were Navy 53s. They were mine
0: Now I remember, and I can't remember where I read this. This was years ago. So I just check my facts if my memory is Mm -hmm. correct. So the first time we had really flown under NVGs in preparation for uh, some type of rotary wing insertion was... In preparation for that, is that correct?
2: Um, I I can't. Uh, I suspect that is the case, right? Um, but I can't tell you a hundred percent. Um, because in, didn't inside
0: back inside uh, Delta Force. It's been a long time since I've read that. Did
2: you read that? It had to have, right It's like a that was novel. Book that Haney wrote.
0: No, was it Haney or was it Beckwith? Beckwith? Was, I, mean, I think Beckwith. it was Beckwith. Oh, Beckwith,
2: yeah. I read Beckwith's book, but it was Didn't a long he go time into ago. that
0: on the preparation for 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 uh Eagle Claw? Uh, and then they were talking about they really hadn't done some of these things before, or they they hadn't done them, or at least they hadn't done them since Vietnam at any right. point of any point of proficiency. Right. So he was building some of these proficiency points from zero and he was pulling in guys that had you know, anyone that had experience, basically, in some of these categories, they were, like, put on the team, basically.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you look at it. So, the Air Force actually had a capability in Vietnam, but it was stood down after Vietnam. Right. Because right. the helic they were, I mean, you think, yeah, you, know, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty here, mm-hmm. but Navy helicopters mm-hmm. flown by Marines uh with some Air Force uh, guys sprinkled through there. So, everybody could get their... Well, I I think that, you know, the thought process was that, you know, Marines are probably better suited than Air Force. And I'm not saying that's correct, but I don't, you know, I'm speculating here, but um, they didn't have the capability. Because that question's been asked many times. Why didn't we use the Pavlos? We had them. Right. Uh, But they had lost that capability, you know, it Mm -hmm. had atrophy because no one put any resources against Mm -hmm. it.
0: And was Delta already a thing or was that a blue light, Charlie the, uh, Beckwith type, type of my, scenario?
2: You know, again, I wasn't in a the community then, right. but when I read Beckwith's book, my recollection was that they had already completed their RTEP type okay. of thing and they were validation exercise yeah. and they were operational by them. Blue mm-hmm. light had already went away. Got mm-hmm.
0: it. So now we got the timelines right on that mm-hmm. and flying within VGs. And then you have a, a thousand plus hours and just under NVGs,
2: do you still fly? Um, not really. I mean, if I get an opportunity, I'll wiggle the sticks, you know, the right. hardest part is figuring out how to start the damn thing. Cause they all started different. <laughs> so, you know, once I do, Hey, if you started for me, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can They're get it, it off phones the anymore. safely.
4: What's that? They're not a flip phone anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the do you miss it? Matter. Do you miss flying? Um, Sometimes, but, you know, I'm of the mind that you can't ever turn back the clock on things like that. It's like when I left command of the 160, it was a great time of my life. Uh, Very formative for me, but I, you know, I didn't pine away for it afterwards because it Mm -hmm. was the next guy's turn. It wasn't, I had the, and I was just honored to have had the opportunity. So I do miss flying a little bit. You know, once in a while I'll get an opportunity. I flew a Bell uh, 206 L3 uh, a couple of months ago. That was fun. Went around the pattern, but. I mean, you know, I have my time. And <laughs> it's a young man's game, right? Especially flying. You know, I did some, uh, when I was a commander of 1160, I flew AH-6s. Oh, wow. And, um, so what and do that's, you that's, some, that's some hard slog, especially in the winter, because you never fly with a door. And they, of course, you know, the warrant officers being warrant officers would put me in the left seat. So my mm-hmm. hand holding the collective on the left seat was out into the slipstream. Right. And I'll never, you know, they, of course, they said, well, hey, sir, you can fly with us. But, you know, we're going to be on the range this night. This is the night you got to fly. And it was like 32 degrees. And I'm out there. And by the time I got home, I mean, I was like a bowl of jelly curled up in a fetal position, Mm -hmm. shaking like a leaf. It doesn't get any
4: better when it's 110.
2: uh, Well, they say that um, you measure your time in little birds by the winters because they're (laughs) not any fun to fly. I remember flying
4: around. Baghdad at a, you know, 100 feet AGL and those things. And yeah. I thought it was so cool. I just thought it was like a a hairdryer.
2: Yeah. This oh, it army. is. Yeah. they. You, <laughs> that's why we went to those Army combat shirts. I got special authority when I was the, or especially daylight, right, in August. And it's like 115 and you got to mm-hmm. wear all that stuff. So we went to those t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And the Army actually <laughs> developed a Nomex kind of shirt for us to wear.
1: Yeah. I have, I have a funny story with that because they had shipped those, those first AC army a, the yeah, army, Ar- combat yeah. ACS, ACU, army combat shirt army combat shirt the the air force guys sent him out with with a package to me and i came in the talk with it and it's the first time anybody had seen t-shirt material with acu sleeves and the s3 looks at me and goes what the fuck are you wearing right i'm like i don't know this seems like a pretty genius invention seeing how we're always wearing body armor you like it looks stupid as fuck and it's never going to take on like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I
2: beg like, to differ, sir. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't know. I mean, this seems pretty yeah. legit. Yeah. <laughs>
2: if he got out of the talk, maybe you'd have a different opinion on that. So,
0: <laughs> so you're, you're really one of the only guys that I know that I've talked to that has been in all of these different theaters
1: through the last several decades. 30 years. Every, every war. Right. Every war. Enlisted warrant and officer. Yeah. Did everything. the only thing he didn't do was like go on submarines. Yeah, and no right. desire. I yeah, no was jump out. Well, well,
2: actually, well, I was on was a submarine. I landed on, we've landed on him on the deck, <laughs> dropping SF guys off and right. seals. But uh, yeah, it was it uh, just a drive by?
1: Did you did you like the AH one or the Daps better for AH six for, AH6 for or roughing
2: things up? Well, um, so. I like them both, and they both have unique capabilities. So the reason the DAP was created is the max airspeed on the AH AH-6s and the MH-6s at the time. You know, and the MH-6 is the assault version with the planks on the side, Mm -hmm. and the AH AH-6 obviously is an attack version. Right. Um, Same basic airframe, but, you know, some different avionics and the like. Is when you're escorting, so their 80-knot is the max airspeed
1: and here well, two mini guns two, two, uh, two tubes. so you can
2: do different configurations uh they can do two mini guns which and two seven shot pods 2.75s they call that a duels configuration and then they have a trips configuration which is a rocket pod a mini and then an and then a 50a g cal 50a 19 and we use those against vehicles when you want a little a little extra range on, on especially in daylight those come in handy So that's the two different configurations they have. But the limitation on the uh, AH AH-6 is airspeed. So if you got it, you know, the cruise speed at the time of the 47s and the 60s was 120 knots. Mm -hmm. So you got an escort platform that can go 80. So you've mitigated a third of their airspeed. Right. And so the DAP was created to to cover that uh, gap in mission capability.
1: Why isn't you guys never put the Apaches in the
2: 160. Well, we looked hard at the Apaches. Yeah. And uh I was actually, you know, not involved in that, but we did a hard look at them. And and you're right. I, so from first blush, first blush you would say why wouldn't we do that. Right. But one uh we had a our air transportability on an Apache is very very limited, so we had a set package that we a rapid deployment package that we had where the 60s fit in well with that. Yeah on the load plans yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. An Apache don't. I mean it takes much longer to build it up. Um, the other th- the other thing is the avionics and all of the communication suites in there would have to be upgraded. A lot of money. The final reason is if we're on an alert on the alert package with a DAP, it can either be a, an attack aircraft or you can quickly First. reconfigure yeah. it to an assault aircraft. Oh, yeah. Which you cannot do that with an Apache.
3: Mhm.
2: Um, the capabilities of an Apache, especially the new E-model that they have, are are undeniable. It's it's the most capable attack helicopter in the world, in my humble opinion. But it just wasn't a good fit for us. We looked hard at it. No, it makes sense now. There's another
4: limitation in there, too. I just remember from being in 18 Delta and calling in uh, medevacs, I'd I'd be sitting there with my, casually wondering what's taking so long. And, you know, the medevac bird spins up and, no time at all, but the the, the uh, Apache the escort takes 15 to 30 minutes or something right. like that to, to spin up. It was something ridiculous, and I've never forgot that. Yeah, but why? Why does it take longer?
2: Well, I mean, one, you know, it, it, I think it really is a chain of command thing, and some of it is, you know, what's the risk approval authority no, right. on it? They want to look at the mission. Right. You know, you touched on something tier that we developed in the 160th, uh, which was a ca- an internal CASVAC capability. My experience when you're going on high risk targets, which mm-hmm. most of them are that we're hitting, is that if you, you know, if we get, we didn't want to rely on Medevac. Yeah. And the reason is they weren't briefed on the mission. You know, the the, right. the flash to bang from the time they're notified. And I'm not saying these aren't right. brave air crews and they're not committed to their mission. My first tour was a Medevac pilot in the hundred and first, but we approached it different. So we took one of our assault birds. We had our own medics, which were SOCCM-trained medics. Mm-hmm. Yep. It went through the 18 Delta portion of the Q course. Um, and they went through a, a pretty extensive internal validation program yep. over a year before we'd let them go out. And we put those guys with their kid on one of the assault birds. So if you think about it. We go in on the target. They've, they're carrying operators. They mm-hmm. put them out. They take a heightened, once we once the infill's complete and go to our ground logger, air logger, you know, they have a heightened, on the ground logger, they have a heightened state of alert. So if they get a, if we get a wounded Eagle on the target, you've got a crew that's already been there before, that's already familiar with our SOPs, and we get Start in and, and out quick.
1: Talking on the freaks. Right, there's yeah. they Another got the SA on the whole target.
2: If like, you got a medevac bird coming in, one, you got to brief them up, and then you got to clear the airspace for them to come right. in. Right.
0: Well, that makes too much sense. So, who was the NCO that came up with that?
3: That that doesn't
0: sound like some officer shit to me.
3: Ouch. (laughs) I'm going to have
2: to go buy a puppy to get my self-esteem back when I get done with this. you know, it, it does make a lot of sense. I've pitched it to the aviation branch yeah. uh, several times. And I'm not saying that we don't need medevac because you still no. need medevac. You got a lot of ground operations. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah.
2: But for these high risk assaults, you know, and Absolutely. Convoys, you need them for, but, you know, route clearance teams and convoys, you got to have wow. that area coverage. Why don't you guys um, have a company inside the 160th that is just. Well, we dedicated so the, to medevac. Well, we one we we didn't need it because the the, right. the kit would go onto the back of any aircraft. Really, for the pilots, you know, every pilot knows where every medical facility is. As part of our pre-mission planning, mm-hmm. you know, and what role capability they have, right. and uh, where we need to go, um, and then we just that medic wherever it makes sense, he goes in. You know, he he clips his. He's got different kit in a forty-seven and different kit for a 60 and it just clips onto the back bulkhead on a 60 and then on the side, on the side of a 47, you know, and there was some selling on the ground force side for that because you take up the space of really with the kit and that guy, two operators Mm. on that bird. So there is a combat power trade-off. Right. But I would tell you that we saved a lot of lives on that critical time Time. from your HLZ to get into a cache that interim care is yeah. important. And, you know, a perfect example of that is a, a, a dear friend of mine, Matt Waters, 2nd Ranger Battalion, uh, June eleventh, two 2003, on Operation Reindeer. I was Air Mission Commander. He was a team leader uh, in B-275, took an RPG below the knee. Um, it took a while to get him packaged and prepped into the HLZ. And we came in there with a 47. And, I mean, the guy almost died two or three times getting him to the cache. Uh, but that medic saved his life. And uh, he's a cop in Tacoma now with three kids. Wow. And, and a great, great guy. And Arguably a more dangerous mission. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I think certainly a more frustrating more mission. More frustrating, definitely. <laughs> yeah, <I'm for> sure. <laughs> right. But I'm a big fan of the capability. And it's not, this isn't parochialism. It's just right. a effectiveness. We owe our ground forces, you know, that level of support. What I've seen is is that you know um, other units will want to docs will come in and say if it's a big mission, it's a high vis mission. Well, hey, I gotta I gotta be in there. No, man, you're you know it's a there's a there's a special skill set to start an IV in the back of an aircraft that's jinking around under in pitch black, and I don't care if you're ER you know ER master blaster. That's you don't have that skill set. That used to
4: be how I would initiate people, whether they were new to the team or if I had uh, another medic come out. That was, cause I had I had Navy corpsmen that would augment me and, and things like that, or just regular leg mm-hmm. medics from whatever firebase was that wasn't getting rocketed at the time. They'd they'd come out and want to play with me because they heard my medevac calls. You know we were busy, so I would uh, I would take them out in the back of a of a land cruiser and bounce around the poppy field and tell him to to start IV under NVC. I mean, it's a, I mean, I (laughs) have all the
2: respect and we saved a bunch of dogs too. Um, you know, in the process, which, you know, is an emotional event in and of itself, right. losing a teammate like that. So I, I'm a big fan of the capability. I think there's growth potential there. And mm-hmm. I always, I do a lot of professional development. I'm uh, with, with uh, the soft community on some lessons learned for some friendly fire incidents. I'm doing it up at uh, 2nd Battalion, 5th Group uh, later this month. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I brief them on is, hey, understand this capability and, and integrate it into your training plans. Oh wow. You well, know, I,
0: my buddy's taking over 2nd Battalion. He's gonna be the commander over there. Oh he I is? do have officer friends here.
2: You do? Yeah. I mean, do they nice are guy? You, do they like you or no? Oh no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm shocked. <laughs> 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 yeah, Ken Wainwright used to be my XO. He's the command of the commander two five right now. Great guy. Yeah,
1: he's- so what is uh what is something when you came back and commanded the one sixtieth what was something that you wanted to implement or change like once you were in charge and the gavel was handed to you yeah yeah did you write rewrite their ethos
0: so you have like well, pronouns
1: well, well, the first
2: thing I did was go through the ranks and clear out all the irreverent NCOs. That was job one. Uh, and then followed by shortly thereafter the warrant officers, which, which guess, were what not, I... You did like trolling those warrant officers. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, I, I would tell them, hey, I'm a former warrant. I feel completely empowered to uh, <laughs> to let the air out of your tires at will. In fact, yeah. I believe they should... I told them this many times. You guys should all be restricted to living in a house trailer for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, which... Some thought it was funny. Most didn't. Um, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Well, yeah. Shocker there again. Did you change uh, change some parking signs or something? Actually, I I do have a parking sign
1: story.
0: Yeah. That parking (laughs) sign story is super funny. Yeah.
2: that. um, And uh, I know the age six guys will appreciate that when I share it. But you know what? It was interesting. I took over from a great officer. He's a dear friend of mine. uh, Lieutenant General Retired Kevin Mangum. And we knew each other. He was, a you know, he grew up in the 160th. And, uh, and he had, you know, we, everybody had, every commander has their priorities, right? And that, and, and I think they're important. They may not seem important down at, you know, where the rubber meets the road, but as far as keeping the unit focused and where resources are going, I think are important. And it was, um, win the fight, modernize the fleet and transform the regiment were his three priorities. And I, uh, I, I agree with all of those. Those were clearly important priorities, but I added, The number one priority is leader development and Mm -hmm. professionalize the force. And it, and it can't be just at the top, right? You can't focus like as the commander, my span of control was my, my battalion commanders, my staff, Mm -hmm. it had to be in the depth and breadth of the organization. So when we do our training briefs, you know, everybody had responsibility. You know, the first sergeant had responsibility of a company had responsibility for his E-5s and E-6s, you know, and And the warrants, the company commander had responsibility for educating, for developing his warrants. Mm -hmm. And so, and I wanted to see what they were doing. And so every brief, I'd say, okay, how are you, you know, this was part of the brief to me. And then I had my own plan for the battalion commanders and the company commanders, mainly the company commanders. Um, And I, because I believe if you get leader development right, you do have the right culture in the, in the command. um, That all those other things, you know, the modern, you know, winning the fight modernizing, uh, the fleet and uh, transfer, all that will take care of itself. If you got the right people in the critical spots with the right skill sets. Mm-hmm. What's the and, third one? When the fight modernize the force and what? And, uh, transform the regiment. What's that, we were, what's that mean? What's well, so, you know, you, you know, as, as fact of life changes occur, are we, mm-hmm. are we, you know, are we best postured for, and I'll give you a prim- perfect example yeah. of that. You know the one sixtieth now has two Gray Eagle companies. Um, you know the, which are Pred equivalent, right? The Army's version of the Predator. Got it. Um, in their ranks, uh, so they've got. I think it's uh, twelve are they armed. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Well. Oh yeah. Um, in fact, uh, and I I believe this to be true, and I've heard it from multiple sources, but I'm I'm about ninety five percent. Uh, at least a couple of years ago the most lethal platoon in the army was that was our Craig uh, platoon like wow. deployed to Iraq the most lethal platoon in the army that doesn't
0: uh, surprise me well, Seasoning if you don't think man. I
2: wore out the uh, AH6 guys on that, because right. uh, it was, you know, spec for umpty frats was was slaying them. Uh, yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah. and, and crushing a, it.
0: But in, that's in, between, I mean. in between the dings on the
2: microwave from his burritos,
0: he's just like, well, I'll <laughs> sounds sounds like it. a great <laughs> job. <laughs> <laughs> Ding, I got to take it <laughs> back. Everybody's got
2: to eat. Man. Everybody's <laughs> got to <laughs> eat. But that's an example of, you know, that's being relevant. And, and that it wasn't yeah. without controversy yeah. in the 160. The guy, the, you know, why we're in aviation, unit. why are we doing this? And my response to them was, Keep we're doing all- this because this is what best serves the ground force commander.
1: And keeping it all in control, to, like, why would you? Yeah, it's the just only reason- not adding more shit to this because I know how complex this looks from an air picture standpoint mm-hmm. when you're inside one of these RASAs. Like, right. And the more yeah, that a, you guys stack, have right? coming from the same place that understand the same things, the easier it is. Not trying to argue with a restricted Restricted operating operating zone. zone.
2: So, and you know, there's an ACA, which helicopters operate at will because ACA is called airspace coordinating altitude. altitude. So So usually at a thousand feet or below three, it's, it's, or, well, yeah, it depends. I think, but yeah, okay. We'll use three. That's a, there is no coordination below that. The airspace stops, but above that, It's tiered. So if you go on a standard target, you're going to have a stack of assets up there, depending on the target. Right. And you got to, those have got to be deconflicted, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. an Air Force mission and they do it. The Army doesn't do that well, yeah, uh, yeah. but the Air Force does it exceptionally well. Yeah, the 24th and now 724th so yeah. is the so does JTAC that, support for them. And I I would tell you that, you know, and I, and I, and, and I've gotten some criticism for this over the years, but in my mind, and I, you know, it's oversimplifying it. The only reason the 160th exists is to support that operator on the ground. And I don't care what service they're mm. from. I don't care if it's, you know, if it's Ronald McDonald going down the ropes in the back, he's our focus and we are never going to leave him. And we're going to be completely focused on them. And I actually was ex- very much focused on recruiting former SF and former Rangers right. that went through the warrant program, even if they were younger because their empathy and understanding yeah. of the situation on the ground was something, part of that professionalizing the force that you can't replicate. I flew
4: with a, a couple of guys that were uh former long tabbers
2: and lots we, of, you them. could tell lots yeah. of Marines yeah. that get out and come over. I remember I walked into second battalion or Chinook battalion. Now their second, third and fourth are all mirrored. They're 60, Forty-seven mix. Every warrant officer, I was surprised one to see so many of them at work at once. <laughs> <laughs> um, he got that one in there, but but every one of them had a ranger scroll on his right wow. sleeve. Every single one of them. That's super cool. <laughs> it was. I mean, and to me, that was that was really critical for us, right? Yeah. That unit culture, each strategy for lunch every every time. Mm-hmm. We we had to have that right ground focus culture, and I beat the drum on it. Uh, the entire time I was in command and still do. It's,
4: yeah, when you just said, uh, because that's the, that's the will of the, the GFC, the Ground Force Commander, and just talking about how keeping 160th in there, mission focused on supporting the guy on the ground rather than independently supporting the 160th. That's so key. And it's not just, to, that's not, that's not key just to 160th or even soft in general. I see that a lot. I mean, I've done, I've done my staff time. I've, I've had this staph infection and you see people starting to create missions. And Evan and I have talked about this just in kind of organizational development of Black Rifle Coffee. You see people start to develop little fiefdoms. Their, their little fiefdoms, their their organization and um, it starts to take on a mission, a self-supporting right. mission rather than just staying focused on why do we exist in the first place? And that's
2: why strategy is so important, right? Mm-hmm. A strategic, like when I took over the foundation that I'm running now, mm-hmm. You know, I said, "Hey, tell me, show me our strategic plan. What are right. our priorities? What are our strategic objectives?" You know, because you have to anchor the organization in that. Well, it, and it's
0: it's so important, to, and that was the that was the thing that we're we're you know being more of a you know a, a passenger on the ride of the strategic planning and objectives for the last several decades. It'd frustrate the shit out of me. You'd have guys that couldn't clearly articulate what it was that they're trying to accomplish you know, what their mission success criteria would be, you know, and, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself a smart guy. I just consider myself a guy that needs very specific goals, objectives directly associated with the big picture. It's because now I can put it together and go, oh, okay, I got it. Right. Yeah. How you're
2: contributing to the overall effort. And it
0: helps you stay in your lane because you're like, oh, I get it. I, I completely understand what the, you know, the global terror, the global war on terror, you know, our strategic right. objectives are we have to deny sanctuary, blah, 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 yeah. blah. I see where I fit in on this. So if I'm in, you know, Libya, I understand how I'm contributing to the overall right. international strategic objective, yeah. right? I understand it. It's not like, what the fuck are we doing training guys here? This is yeah. fucking stupid. And it's like, yeah. no, you're stupid. You don't fucking understand what we're doing because you're you not digesting the, the information you gotta or zoom out
4: past your ego. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But I, I, I think as I get more caffeinated and get my brain warmed up here, you know, it leads into organizational success. As you look at all the different places that you've been now leading a nonprofit, you know, how many years do you have in the military?
2: Uh, I was a month shy of 41 when I retired. Jeez Louise. That's two, two careers. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was, my wife is quick to remind me that I was working for free. At right, the end there.
3: right.
2: <laughs> I was a high at 100 percent of my base pay was, uh, yeah, was coming to me.
0: Well, it's 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 really interesting to me, you know, now with the company the size that it is, and then having military experience from my past, it's it's interesting to me how you, how you, leaders and managers how they one differentiate each other between the two, and I do believe this, which is the army or the armed services, we create. The best leaders, I think, out there. Yeah, I think I agree, there's man. the anomaly circumstance where you'll have visionary leaders that I think plug in in corporate world and some of the other places where you're like, yeah, Elon Musk is a visionary and he's a leader, but uh, I don't know, I've never worked for him. I'm just, I'm envisioning that. But I think by and large, the the system that we've created the in the military and the tradition and what we've learned through multiple conflicts and, you know, multiple administrations and conflicts and all of these different things. The emphasis on leadership to me is the military is the last place in our society where we have a primary focus on leadership. Is there a course? And I don't even know if Harvard teaches leadership anymore. They try. I mean, they try
2: week long, you know, there's the Thayer Institute, Mm -hmm. which... Uh, it tries to impart West Point leadership, uh, techniques and tech right. procedures. And, and, and I'm not saying I didn't that even know not that a was great, a thing. Yeah. What, they, West I Point mean, I leadership? was, I was at, yeah, it's the Thayer Institute. I was actually at, like the
0: where they used to donate first and.
2: It, yeah. Do yeah, stuff well, like that
0: like west from <laughs> West Plains. I mean, like, Leaders like eat that. first. Get out of my way, motherfucker.
2: <laughs> 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 I, okay, I'm putting back that bag of Doritos. I'm so sorry.
3: Um
2: I agree with you. I do th- but I would also say that you know, I I I have a unique perspective on leadership, right? As a right. private going through yeah. and as an NCO and then as a warrant, because there's leadership responsibilities there as a, what? on your crew, right? Is your aircraft commander, pilot in command, mm-hmm. things like that. Look at it's that. different. Right. But, and when I, and then, you know, commanding thousands of people as a uh, general officer, which, you know, right. you are, but you're, and, and and you're a critical piece of that pie, but you're only a piece of it. But when I got you, out, it was different. I mean, work, you know, people think in the military, you order people to do something, they all do that. And <laughs> I quick to tell people that's not the way it works.
0: Okay. How do you break this down in, in, in how do you define it for yourself? Or how have you thought about this? The differences between leadership and management in the military and then transitioning to civilian life. And you have a lot of thoughts on this. So please take as much time as you need as far as the leadership, management, mm-hmm. being in command. What are the roles and responsibilities? What are what are you trying to do, especially as a general? And I'm I, I kind of need this painted in a way and maybe multiple phases as as you answer this because you have different you have different responsibilities associated with command positions throughout your entire career, and then as you mm-hmm. get into being a general, which is more, to me, it seems to be more political in some ways. Strategic, yeah. Strategic or political. Some of them
2: are political, Yeah, definitely. So could you outline that for us? Well, let me start in big strokes first. So I, my particular leadership style um, was definitely influenced about my time as an NCO. I'm not saying that I I didn't hold people accountable. And, you know, I mean, you have to. But my experiences as a junior Marine, as a young Marine, uh, and as a junior warrant officer in the Army and a soldier, that all of those experiences stayed with me and contributed to my leadership philosophy and style. So I always had it in my mind, okay, even when I was a two-star, the decisions that I'm making, how are they, one, going to be interpreted? And how are they going to impact those in their rank and file? That doesn't mean that it's still not the right decision, but it's, right. it goes into my calculus, right? Um, and so I would tell you that, uh, that it w- you know, leadership is a learned skill. Anybody that tells you that there's just only natural leaders, in my opinion, is, is, is off the mark. Mm-hmm. That it is learned. And, and I'm and every time I think that I've gotten to a level of proficiency where maybe I'm uh, I'm good to go, I get right. humbled and realize. Mm-hmm. And taking a nonprofit is a perfect example of that. But, you know, I would say that leadership by example is one of the key fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people say lead from the front, but I always took exception to that. And I don't mean that I haven't led from the front, right. but I'm not going to... You know, am I the best guy to be in the lead aircraft wiggling the sticks as a uh, colonel rather right. than a warrant officer? The answer to that is no, I'm not. Right. I'm not as proficient. So should I be in the jump seat and making the right decisions, which, you know, when the operating where Matt Waters lost his leg, I referenced, I was in a jump seat mm-hmm. Uh right where I should have been. So leadership by example. Uh The other thing is skill sets as leaders change right. as you so, and I'll give you, you know, when you can do direct leadership, when I was a sergeant in the Marine Corps, I mean, I I directly communicated mm-hmm. with everyone in my sphere of control. Right. Everyone that was in my unit, I could communicate my intent with them. That's not the case when I was a regimental commander. And I'll just paint the picture. So I'm the regimental commander in Fort Campbell. I got two battalion, two operational battalions of Fort Campbell. I got a training battalion of Fort Campbell. I've got R&D folks there. I got a battalion in Savannah, Georgia, and I got a battalion mm-hmm. in Fort Lewis, Washington, JBLM. Right. And I got guys in Iraq and Afghanistan and frequently in all over the world in Kid, South America. Right. Hoa and yeah. Hello so how boys. do you how do you how do you communicate with those guys? How do you get your yeah. intent from here through various levels of bureaucracy? Right. Right. Cause and not everybody in that bureaucracy buys into your vision. Right. Right. And right. And all it takes is one one node. And wherever you see a bad leader, by the way. It seems like everything downstream of that right. is bad. So my particular thing was I would do, uh, and, and a good friend of mine, uh, Carl Myers, the one who uh, Warrant uh, talked to me about this. And uh, he said, hey, just get out and walk around. So I'd block two hours a week just to walk around. And I'd sit down and and I didn't talk to pilots all the time. I'd, rarely, actually. I wanted to talk to maintainers and people that I wouldn't see. Right in my operational responsibilities, you know, the guys tweaking engines and doing mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I'll tell you a story real quick, if, if you'll indulge me. Please. So I'm sitting down with these engine guys and they got their bore scopes and they're looking at turbine blades and all that stuff. And they're a critical part of us generating combat power, right? right. With these airplanes, these engines got to be inspected, put back on the aircraft and go right back to combat. And I'm, but I, you know, I was talking to this young kid and I said, Hey, is there you know, what can I do to make the regimen better? What would make life easier for you? You know, you tell me. And this one kid, he said, hey, sir, I score a 300 on my APFT. But I got to get up and run at this, you know, nine minute mile pace with these people, the lowest common denominator for PT. You know, and it doesn't help me. It doesn't help my fitness level. It just means I got to do something extra. Why don't we have an incentive PT program? And I said, hey, you know what, that's a good question. So I went right back to my office, hacked out a note to the first sergeants and the CSM and said, hey, do we have an incentive PT program? if not, why not? What are your concerns? And I said, I want an answer today. (laughs) Right. And so they, you know, five of the six came, first sergeants came back and said, we don't have one. You know, we've been in combat. We just haven't thought of it. Right. One of them wrote back, I'll never forget. Uh, And he knows who he is. (laughs) He said, hey, sir, if we do that, that cat, that soldier is going to be in his rack sleeping uh, while the rest of us are out doing PT. And I said, if he gets a 300-SAP-FTA, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. hey, I don't care if he's yeah. curled up in the back in the rack with a bag of Doritos yeah, no and some Twinkies. It's right. working for him. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I quickly put together a memo and established a battalion incentive PT program and walked right back down to that troop and said, hey, you asked me about an incentive PT program. Here is the new battalion policy on an incentive <laughs> PT the program. This kid's fucking and he said, I mean, he was, he was shell shocked. And yeah. I said, Hey, <laughs> effective immediately. Here's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and That's you know, big. you think about it. Yeah. It wasn't just that kid. I was trying to impact, right? right. It was everybody. And, and a, and a great example is that three months later, or six months later, I'm hopping on a C-17 going over to Iraq, uh, and this and this NCO comes up to me and he says, "Hey, sir, you got a second? I said, "Sure." And he said, "You know, and I can't remember—I'll be—I can't remember the kid's name, but a right. hey, specialist Jones is still crowing about how he changed battalion policy." I said, "He did change battalion policy, you know." And and to me, you know, just to know that they're heard, yeah, and that they have a voice, right. you get a better command. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in that. I, I will tell you quickly, Tran, and you know, and I believe you got to empower people, yeah. And, and sometimes empowering people means you take an ass chewing yeah, because you accept less than a perfect plan. And, and to empower leaders means that you lose, you cede some control and that periodically they're going to make mistakes. And I tell guys, hey, listen, if you make a mistake and you're trying to do the right thing, we're going to AAR the shit out of it. Okay. But it's going to be in a constructive manner, not in a punitive manner. Right you know, that we're going to, we're going to get better from it. And I get it. I mean, if you're, you know, if you polish off a 12 pack and crash a 60 flying your wife, you know, uh, when you're not supposed to, okay, that's different. Right. Uh, but if you're pushing the envelope uh, because you think it's the right thing to do to support that ground force commander, and by the way, I don't care if it's an E4 or an O6. Right. It doesn't matter to me. They're still the ground force commander. Then we're just, you know, we're going to learn from it. Even if you make a mistake, it's still a valuable piece. When I got out and I, you know, and I only had 16 people in our foundation, completely different leadership, Mm -hmm. right? Because you don't have, and it's not that everybody followed my orders, everything I said when I was in the military, but you had a similar culture and a similar ethos and a common lexicon. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not that way out there. So I've, I mean, I continue to learn every single day, but the basics still apply i still walk i still get a cup of coffee every morning black rifle coffee i walk through my uh, office and i chat with every single person and and i benefit from those discussions just as much as they do and i do it every day yeah it's interesting because one of the things
0: i really like about salt lake for instance and it's you know i i don't know if it's something that i picked up along the way from you know good commanders and good leaders i'm not sure but
2: did you actually have an officer that you I respected? Did, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Fortunately, they was died, he an aviator. But
2: no, <laughs> no, I, no,
0: I've, I've run into, I've run into several good officers. I think they just they they need to take it on the channel a little bit more, right? They've got to. If nobody else is out there, bring them down a couple pegs. At least if they listen to this, they're like, fuck. Oh, I better be good to my dudes. So yeah. that applies to you retired know? officers as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. they they need it, man. Like, they, they, I'm, I'm they much need better it. For they, it. They start smelling their own farts and and <laughs> and thinking they're so fucking good. It, after a while, like guys need to they need a reality, a big dose of reality. You know, that's when they run off the rails and start banging their biographers downrange and doing weird ass shit. <laughs> like,
3: they need a reality
0: check.
2: Just for the record, in case my wife's listening, that's not—he's not referring yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't for have a yeah, think it. everybody's so, well aware. <laughs> <well-aware as laughs> Take a sixty while drunk with their wife. Is that, that, is, is that a, that a real, real story? It, it didn't happen within the 160th, but it did happen on a JTF six mission. Are you kidding Two me? warrants. I don't know that they were drinking, but their right. wives were down. They were in they were supporting counter narcotics stuff. Yeah. Wow. And they took their wives and uh, the aircraft crashed, killed both their wives. Oh wow. Oh my god. They only killed the wives. Yeah, which, I mean, I would have wished I would have died. <laughs> this, and all that. This, this is suspect. Um, <laughs> they well, survived. <laughs> no, no, I mean, Netflix what had happened the is time? the aircraft had been on a maintenance test flight. Uh-huh. There's that stabilator in the back on a Black Hawk that cycles up and down based on airspeed. And uh-huh. it had been malfunctioning. They thought it was fixed, and but it wasn't. Oh, and man. the thing just nose tucked. Oh, and frankly, wow. they had, both of them had kids. Man, so just wow. think about it. And the Army actually made a really good call. They were clearly at fault, but they didn't. They didn't prosecute them because they didn't want to take the fathers from those kids. Right. But I mean, they did. I mean, they were out, punished but already. they, yeah, I thought that was a, a, you know, a sense of humanity there that yeah. they showed, which I, the chain of command show, which I appreciate. I mean, clearly they were jacked up. And I guess a, the army might a be firm. a little
1: better at the Navy when it comes to prosecuting, you know, <laughs> you know you fake I,
2: I, I wanted to go back to something. We had talked about the sure. warrants and the traffic. Sign. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the- so on one of my walkabouts, uh, I, we had in, in B Company, which was the AH6 company, uh, which they refer to as, quote, the center of the universe, unquote. Um, and Gary Linfoot, by the way, was on the veter- your, uh, the the shoot was one of those guys. Um, we had a, we, they called it grandfather row. We had like five of them, these warrants, W-4s, W-5s that were all grandfathers. And so I asked them, you know, walking around, I said the same question. Hey, how can I make? You know, what can I do to make us better today? What can I do to help the regiment? And this uh, W5, you know, uh, said to me, well, you can fix the parking situation. We had a parking issue with the amount of parking spots. And I said, all right, I'll take care of that. So I um, walked out of there and I had a driver and I said, hey, call DPW on base and see if I can get a sign made. That is AHMH6 grandfather parking only, right? <laughs> and they wouldn't do it. So it cost me 60 bucks. I had to go out in town and buy the sign, but this the comic value was, it was worth it. So, you know, of course, you never get a warrant officer in before like nine o'clock in the morning. So the next <laughs> morning I had the sign made out in town, put it right in front of the company, and it was AH6, AHMH6 grandfather parking only. And, uh, and then the crew chiefs got on board and painted the lines blue oh, on yeah. each side of the, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I mean, it, it was a huge hit down there. I mean, they, you know, I, I said, you know, actually I got warrant officers showing up early for work, jonesing for that parking yeah. spot, you know, uh, and you know, I, I probably should be proud of a, several different things as my time as a regiment commander, but the sign <laughs> ranks right up there at the top of my significant <laughs> accomplishments. So...
1: It was fun, a lot of fun. Oh, that was great. So we're uh now you're running special operations warrior foundation. Yep.
2: And uh yeah, what, what's, what's the, the mission? mission? Yeah, yeah. Where can- so um twofold. It's in a um first, you know, first we do um immediate financial support to severely wounded, injured, or ill special ops personnel, not just operators, right. but anybody. And not just combat, but if they're and right. it severely Training. is defined as hospitalization. Got it right, and not just going into the ER on a through and through and getting sewn up and RTD. Right, right? it's right. you got to be admitted and right. yeah. Right. Um, and so we overnight them a five K check. It, 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 well, let me put we ensure that they get five K. Mm-hmm. Right. So for a Green Beret, if that happens to a Green Beret, the Green Beret Foundation provides 2500 We provide 2500 Got it. For uh, Air Force Special Ops Command, they don't provide, you know, their foundations don't provide anything, so we do the whole 5K. Stalkers, we What's do the, the same Jared, way. It's, I don't know. I'm too small, I guess, maybe. Well, if you're working for SOCOM... You're, and you know, even if it's an op-con or take on right. relationship, they're covered. Yeah, so we do it. that, and we also send a uh, thing called an echo show, which is a an Alexa-like device video, yeah, so they can communicate with their loved one. Uh, which nice. will, yeah, we get a lot of positive feedback on that, idea. especially with COVID because yeah. they can't go visit them. Right. Right. So they can, and they can stream videos or whatever. Right. But you know, and I've gotten a lot of feedback from the yeah. guys on that. So that's one of our missions, and and we do we do we you know well i think this year we've had over 40 wounded already that we mm. and injured or ill so if they have cancer any right. anything that puts an undue strain on the family that right. we take and we overnight that check i mean it our internal standard is is measured in hours to get it out the door right so that's one mission but our main effort what takes the majority of our uh time is our education of the children of fallen special ops personnel and those, again, that are working for right. special ops personnel. And I'll also lump in Medal of Honor recipients, special ops Medal of Honor recipients, living or deceased. Obviously, deceased are going to be covered, but the living as well. So Leroy Petrie, yeah. uh, Tom Payne, who just got his Medal of Honor a couple weeks ago, Ed Byers, mm-hmm. um, those, their kids are covered by us. The unique thing about our foundation is that we start in preschool. You know, it's not a college. People default to it's a college scholarship thing. It's That's a big part of what we do, but not right. nearly all. So we have a holistic approach. So we, and there's statistical evidence to support this, that a quality preschool that gives these kids a jumpstart on their yeah. education is very important. So we pay up to 8 k per year per child to go to preschool. Got it. And we pay for, from preschool all the way through college graduation. we do unlimited tutoring,
3: Mm.
2: unlimited. And that covers a lot of our special needs kids. And I'll talk about them in a second, because we do have a special needs program. Mm. We, uh, We, so we pay for that. In around eighth grade, we make available to them these mentor programs so kids can determine, and we don't care, by the way, if they go to Harvard or they go to, be a hairstylist or an auto mechanic, whatever their passion takes them, we're going to cover it. But we believe that, you know, the mentorship is a key part of this. So we, you know, we have folks that mentor them and say, okay, hey, what's your passion? What do you want to do? If you're in eighth grade and, you know, I mean, you know, eighth grade, I wasn't a strategic thinker. My wife would say I'm still not a strategic thinker, (laughs) but... You know, but to have somebody who's not their parents, right? Because your right. parents don't know anything, clearly. My kids remind me of that all the time. Yeah, right. But to say, okay, hey, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be a doctor. Okay, well, if you want to be a doctor, here's the things you have to do. AP classes you have to take in high school. This is the things you need to do to reach that dream. Right. And so that's a critical piece. Right, we pay for all their college visits, them and a guardian we bring about 25 to 30 kids to Tampa every year where they live in the university of Tampa dorms over the summer. And it's a, it's, it's a college prep course. They have mentors that are our gold star kids that are graduates from the program who volunteer to come back and they stay in the dorms with them. And it's very cool. Very cool. Um, and we do some team building things, but we teach them financial management. We teach them time management, study skills. We help them write their essays for their applications to college Mm And then, of course, we pay for, we fully fund their college. We don't ask them to go to a bunch, you know, we don't say, hey, I want you to go to this charity, that charity, that charity, then come back to us and we'll pick it up. In fact, we tell them, don't do that. We've got it. Um, We pay for them to do, I'm a big believer in internships. My Mm -hmm. oldest son is on his second internship with John Deere right now in the Raleigh area. And I believe that that is just essential life skills, mm-hmm. you know, showing up to work and right. doing all the things right. that like adults do.
3: Yeah,
2: um, and so where we we pay a stipend for them to do internships. Um, in fact, one of the our partners in that is Overstock in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. and so but we don't want them to be limited. We don't want to say I can't afford to move to Salt Lake City for the summer. So we pay five K for them to to do that, just to right. get them situated. And the same thing with study abroad. We think those are critical experiences for them. Uh, And we also help transition them to a career. So it really is a soup to nuts kind of Mm -hmm. approach. And I will say that our our college attendance rates are upwards of 20% above the national average, and our college graduation rates are upwards of 30% above the national average, Mm. which is significant, especially if you consider the fact that these kids are most likely in single parent homes uh, and that they've had a traumatic loss in their family. Right. Um, And I don't take any credit for that success. It really is. Our counselors are, you know, a third, over a third of our staff. That's all they do is work with these kids. Um, And we recently, we stood up a special needs program and, uh, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, We have a young man, um, a young boy who's autistic. Mm -hmm. His father was in 19th group, was killed uh, in combat. And when COVID hit, um, he couldn't go to school anymore. And, you know, a sense of normalcy and change is difficult uh, for autistic children and and other, for most people, but for them especially. Mm -hmm. So we we have, I have a lot of latitude on what I approve for that program. So from the board and I asked for that. So we transformed his basement into a classroom and we paid yeah, for the tutor cool. to go to the class. So his mother sent me a picture of him walking out the door, his front door with his backpack on. He walks out on the sidewalk and basically boxes around and comes into his uh, classroom cool. in the basement. That's yeah. really cool.
4: So, And with her being a full-time student herself, that's that's huge. Yes. Yep.
2: And, uh, and again, there's no limit on the tutoring, right? right. So we can address that. And I'm committed... To provide the same level of resources, at least the same level of resources for our special needs kids as I am for our kids right. that are going on a traditional path, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that's our missions. The you know we just, in fact, uh, two days ago, you know, if you're familiar with Charity Navigator, mm-hmm. it's the watchdog group oh, for yeah, charities. Yeah. So the highest rating you can get is a four star rating on Charity right. Navigator. Two days ago, we just got notified with 15. This is our 15th year of right. a four-star rating on Charity Navigator. So stewardship of the resources that were provided. In fact, our three core values are integrity, stewardship, and commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the need is, is clear. I mean... Um, We're we're over 50 kids this year, 53 kids. Last year, we were 80 new kids added. We have a total right now of just under 900 kids in our program. Um, Some of them are a few months months old. Uh, Dustin Ard, uh, NCO in third group, was killed in August last year. His Mm -hmm. son, Dustin Gabriel Ard, was born January 4th of 2020. Right. And our counselors, uh, you know, they came in and said, hey, Graduation class of 2043. And that's our commitment. Every time we lose someone, if they, like somebody like Dustin, our finish line is extended out, whatever the end, we make a promise. Hey, we're going to cover you uh, for that. So anyway, bottom line is that's what we do. Uh, I love the job. And frankly, um, I didn't plan on getting into a nonprofit. It wasn't on my radar. In fact, the first job I was a finalist for was to be the president of the Citadel. Yeah. Just because I'm a big believer in leader development. <laughs> right. And I thought that would be a, a great job. when um, I read every Pat Conroy book out there in preparation for it. You know, he's a Citadel guy. Um, but this job is, is one. Wonder- it's a job and you got to make hard decisions and you got to uh, do things. But we are defaulted to yes. I'm spring-loaded to yes on making it happen uh, for families. And uh, I go home with a smile on my face every day. That's uh, a great job. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that because
1: yeah. we get hit up constantly about good quality charities right. that are devoted to the cause where they where your dollar is, is every, mm-hmm. is going to
2: what it is. And, and don't, you, and don't, you know, take my word for it. All of our financial documents, everything, our special yeah, dot yeah. org everything's right. posted. Well, yeah.
4: I don't need to. I have a couple of the kids in the program. Yeah. In in yeah, in in my own command. Mm-hmm. So And if you're working I for SOCOM
2: feedback. like Brent mm-hmm. Taylor, who is close to home in Utah, North Ogden, I mean, he yeah. was working for the seventy-fifth Rangers mm-hmm. and his his kids when he was shot and killed in Afghanistan a couple of years ago. So cool. we're yeah, it's a it's a great foundation. It was started in, in Eagle Claw with the intent of funding the education. When I told you we lost those eight yeah. Americans, a desert one that left right. behind 17 kids, that was the original mission. The, the, the folks on that mission passed the hat. That was how it started. Wow. And Ross Perot, uh, provided seed money. Yeah. In fact, his grandson, Hill Perot is on our board. Oh really? Yeah. Well, uh, It's very cool. I mean, he's got, yeah. we found old documents from where they yeah, helped us cool. in the early years. Right. It's very cool.
4: Man.
0: Well, do you take on, uh, special needs business partners as projects? Special
1: needs. Business why why do I feel like you're looking at me right now?
0: I'm just saying, like, do you
2: do leadership development <laughs> well, for, special, for special limited. needs business partners? <laughs> you know, to go I'm back to Star Trek, I'm not a miracle worker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! I'm getting it from both ends now. We have, we, dude, we, cry we, me we, a river.
2: I got Mister Reverend <laughs> over here sitting to my right.
1: We have regular conversations. Hey, listen, I'm willing
2: to take this project on. Yeah, but, uh, I'm good. It's gonna cost you some coffee. Like, I feel like <laughs> the we're gonna need like the
1: general. Sh- it's a new show. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like
2: some new,
0: it's new buddy cop show. Clay, Clay and, and Jared traveling the United States together. <laughs> <laughs> that shit would be hilarious. By the way. <laughs> like, let's see what kind of shenanigans Jared's gonna get, Clay, in today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> know,
2: My Marcus wife would be and, uh, really uh, on board with oh, that. Oh yeah! <laughs>
0: Holy shit!
2: I would watch
4: every episode. <laughs> we I f- would watch it over and, right. over and
2: over and over again. Even though I was part of it, <laughs> I <It> have <Yeah. really laughs> PTSD
4: from it. I don't know if a <laughs> <want the PTSD laughs> trigger event. God, <laughs>
0: we used to have this idea, Clay, which we thought was fucking hilarious. But where we have these back in the early days when we were kind of really getting things moving with the company, we'd always bump into these guys that were so unique, messed up. Yeah. But they both. they like, they like my grandpa used to have this saying he'd say, You could fuck up a steel ball with a rubber hammer in a plowed field. Like these guys. <laughs> okay. I gotta it's gonna take me a yeah, second to process. Right? That one, but,
1: uh, these guys
0: ball. were so so messed up, <laughs> and so we wanted to do this reality show <laughs> where you don't think you've ever heard this. We laughed about this. We
1: laughed about this for,
0: about this for hours, <laughs> like days, weeks. Like this has come back and back and back because we were like we, we had- wanted. To
1: we had two that were very
2: polar opposite. Now, yes. when you say the, these guys are screwed, they parted Black Rifle? No, 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 they were out. They were, they're they're out, friends. They were like, friends. you know, oh, friends yeah. of right. friends they're and they're stuff. They're yeah. still friends. I mean, you're sort of publicly throwing yeah. them under the sure. uh, bus.
0: Nobody knows them by name. Yeah. So we'll just yeah. like, think. And they, they're they don't even know who de- they are. They're
1: independently <laughs> just. Nobody knows Jared by name. Whacked out of their mind. They're
0: just, they make the worst decisions ever. They're the guys that are like, they they were the guys that the, the, the their leadership challenges back in the day and their whatever unit because they're like Guys, I'm getting married, and it's like, dude, you're already married. You can't get married again. It's illegal. What? I already did it. No, it's there's it's illegal. You can't do it. and so well, the cool thing is, she comes with like a twenty five percent interest only loan on this Maserati, man. You know, like,
3: it's like, dude, you're an
0: idiot. You're an idiot. Like, not they're not bad guys. They're just no, not
1: really really fucked holes. up. But yeah, we we were gonna pull both of them in and say that we were giving them $100,000 to start a new business six months to start a new business. And we don't, and we don't want, don't tell us now, don't tell us now. You guys are just going to get this money once you make the plan. And in six
0: months (laughs) we want to see how much money you've made. And then, but really the show is, we want to see how long it takes them to just lose just just lose it all,
2: and we want to see What, is this like the, lotto or something? It's you
0: know? just, it's,
1: it was a rea- we were funding a reality. Yeah, show. Yeah, we wanted to fund this show. reality show it was like
0: you're getting hundred thousand dollars for your new startup idea, and it's like
2: what startup idea, exactly. guys?
1: Exactly.
3: Oh, we'll see you guys later. Come
2: Here's on. The game for us. Should I be standing by for a check? Then? No. <laughs>
3: oh, shark
2: tank. Yeah, shark tank. Uh, that would actually be very funny. I, 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 I strongly uh, encourage you to continue down that path. If we only
0: had the hundred thousand dollars, that we could just watch go up oh, and sure, there's just a downside. fire like. <laughs> When we get to that point, when you guys see the show launched called Shark Tank, just tanked with Jared and I, <laughs> yeah.
3: we're, we're not interested
0: in your business idea. We're interested in your personal life. How,
1: <laughs> how, it's just us, how is it looking right now? Table. <laughs> oh God. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, this is, I am, this next year, 2021, I will produce an episodic show just for man. your entertainment. I would love that. Where, so would where can they
2: where can they find your organization, Clay? So our website is you know, Special yeah. Ops, Okay. Uh OPS specialops.org. Great. And um, and if you got a question, uh, you know, you can drop us a line right there. Um and there and and I'll just, you know, I I realize there's a lot of great charities out there and there's a lot of great people doing great work. Black sure. Rifle, what you did for our disabled vets. A couple of months ago, which I was uh, honored to uh, to observe and to, you know, to drive around with uh, with Evan and Jared and Tiran. Uh Those are all examples of great things that are happening. This is our mission. This is what we're doing. We believe in it. Um, and if you want to support it, we'd be grateful for it.
1: Heck yeah. And
4: uh, I'll just throw this out there uh, for Black Rifle Coffee fans. There will be a Special Operations Warrior Foundation coffee early next year get okay. that, I uh, you know I I love finding stuff like that
0: out. It's pretty good.
2: Well, <laughs> you got gunship rose. <laughs> so I put you have on me the on the gunship rose. Uh, awesome. no. <laughs> the new the new gunship is, and then, the
0: new gunship design is way better. Well, we got well, to got to correct too. you. You
2: got a you got an MD five hundred you with know, a squared off nose on the bag. So I was like, okay, we got to get you a rounded nose we, on. The, we uh, the
0: new design is epic. Really? Yeah, oh, I want I'll to, show it to you.
2: Uh, and correct, just one request, I please. The Keurigs, if you got, you know.
0: Yeah, we got Keurigs coming out on Gunship too.
2: So, I got, and I got it when I first ordered, when I first, you know, was on the website, and I actually, I can't even remember how I found out about you guys, but I saw this calf, right? So I'm like, oh, calf. I'll well, just, I'd order sort of a selection of yeah. the Keurig. And my kids were still, I mean, two of my kids that weren't in college yet, I didn't understand what calf stood for. <laughs> so my wife, this <laughs> box comes and I'm at work just and she's caffeine. like, Really caffeinated as fuck. That's the coffee you ordered. <laughs> good job. Uh, yeah, good and job, I was Dad. Like, I didn't know what it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I dropped the 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 profanity at the end. I uh, used yeah. to have the words caffeinated as <laughs> fuck on it. And
2: I was like, I, "Can they do that?" <laughs> I got
0: yeah. I, I got I got a series of emails. This was after I had my my first my, first kid. No, my um, first kid. No, my first kid was Nara because. I got an email from a, a, a pastor and I was still answering a lot of the emails back then. So I was answering all our customer service emails and I'm like listening to people complain like, I love the coffee, please take the profanity off. Like when it was regular people just complaining about the profanity, I was like, I don't give a shit, dude, don't buy the coffee, <laughs> buy a different one. Then this pastor emailed me, he was like, man, I use calf all the time. I can't have it on the counter. <laughs> well, I
2: can see the in conflict my, there, in, you know. <laughs> yeah. And
0: there, are, you know, there are a couple hundred people on the in the church. I have to, you know, dump this into a different container and then serve <laughs> it. It's my favorite coffee, and then maybe a few days later, I got another one. I was like, man, I drink coffee all the time. I got two little kids. I can't have, you know, profanity on my countertop. And I was like, shit, I have a daughter that's going to be reading pretty soon. I can't either. And that's when I was like, I, I got to take. I got to take it off because if I can't have my own product on my kitchen counter, there's a problem. And uh, well, it had nothing to do with Fox News. I don't know if you know, but I I don't really give a shit most days about.
1: No, uh, I th- I just thought that's when we got a an abundance of outside. Oh no, I loved that. I, I that- because they were just
0: you know weirdo people complaining about profanity just in general. But when you articulate it and such, like right. hey. My kids, and I'm like, wait, I, you're right. I have kids yeah. too. You can't oh. wear Outdoor Magic either. I, my favorite design we've ever made is Outdoor Magic, which is a uh, <laughs> I, unicorn rape, uh, raping <sighs> an elk with a salmon stuck to its horn.
3: To be fair, well, we well, don't well,
0: know about the well, consent. Yeah, we, we're, we're, we're not talking talking about unicorn sure about the consent. No, no. An elk with a I have sex. stuck. sex. They its were, its were horn. having sex. Yeah, yes. so it's a unicorn. Having sex with an elk with a salmon stuck on the unicorn's and, or,
1: and I walked in a hotel in Nashville. Yeah, and a guy was wearing that shirt. Yeah, I see it all the time. People <laughs> love that. People love the
0: shirt. It's the first design we ever did together.
3: It that's was on what your we porch were of Park that's City. That's what <laughs> we were
0: coming up with with our first design because it was no, it was my first design I came up with because I was on, talking to my buddy Tage on your porch about no, I was talking I know, you've to my had buddy. It. Yeah, I've had it forever
1: but that I was, was when I called and at, at
0: the, the artist draw it. I was at the embassy in Kabul. My buddy was a <laughs> SEAL sitting next to me and he's a Goliath of a human being. And all these case officers were around us. And these guys were like pleated front docker, penny loafer, D bag case officers, they were cocktail circuit case officers, yeah. not like real case officers. Definitely would have been
4: officers, and <laughs> yeah, they were former yeah. officers a
0: yeah. thousand percent. And
2: I'm sitting right here, bro, we sitting were, right here.
0: <laughs> and I was like, Hey, if you want to go elk hunting, I want to take you. When I was talking to my buddy Tage, I'm like, Have you ever killed a big game animal? and he's like, Nah but I've killed a fuck ton of people and all the case officers with like pleated front dockers. They all kind of simultaneously picked up their food and left at the same time because they're like, no, but I've killed a fuck ton of people. And he had at that point, right? He's not, he's not one to kind of, he's not, he's not prone to hyperbole. Uh, he's still hyperbole. Stacking the list still. But, that's where I came up for this. I came up with this design because we were going on this trip together, and I was like, "Dude, we should make T-shirts for this trip. This will be super fun." And it was uh it was, it was going to be called. It, originally, it was, it was Cast and Blast.
1: Well, it, it's gone fishing. Yeah, it was You're gone
0: like- fishing, <laughs> catching full release, catching full release, uh, and this was just like he and I making stupid shirts
2: for our trip. <laughs> Start to violate and release.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) hey, thanks for being here, Clay. We appreciate it. This Uh, is amazing. Donate. Uh, If you get the opportunity to donate, we're going to have a roundup too in Black Rifle Coffee eventually Mm -hmm. for uh, different charities. You guys will be one that we'll have in that roundup circumstance. If it's
4: not on there today, it will be by the end of the day. Yeah.
2: Well, great. Thanks. Appreciate the opportunity. Gents, good times. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks, sir.